You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. Uh, for everyone listening, uh, Clint Casper has joined us. He has also joined forces with the Working Class Bow Hunter and has taken over their blog and is doing an awesome job. So be sure to head on over and check that out. Uh, today you guys are in for a real treat. Clint kills some monster whitetails out of a tree stand. So he is going to walk us through what he's doing as far as setting up tree stands, the type of trees he's doing, how much cover he's cutting down, and how much he's leaving, and all that kind of stuff. So... Obviously, as usual, Clint, thanks so much for hopping on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Zach. Always a uh, always a fun time to catch up with you and uh, do these podcasts. We always have a good time, and I feel like there's knowledge gained and probably some laughs in between. So, hey, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I agree completely. So... From, you know, from the little bit that we've talked, you know, obviously you're from Ohio and everything like that. From what I understand, basically the majority of your hunting there is done either ground blind or tree stand, right? Yeah, I'd say 99% of the time I'm deer hunting here in Ohio or the Midwest for that matter. I'm, I'm usually up a tree somewhere. Awesome. Awesome. And... I don't know. I've hung quite a few tree stands, and there is definitely an art to the right tree, the right amount of cover, facing the right direction, all kinds of stuff. So why don't you kind of walk us through, you know, what what you're looking for, even even if it's preseason scouting, you know, what, what kind of stuff you're looking for, and then all the way to hanging your stands and what you're doing to make it easier to hang your stands and all that stuff. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I mean, pretty much I break all my stands into two categories. And um, these two categories I've kind of come up with because a lot of the farms and the, and the, the ground I hunt is, uh, you know, broken up woodlots or big woodlots but surrounded by fields. So I've got group A. Tree stand group A, we're going to call it, is going to be uh, like transition zone stands and um, what I call food source stands. Okay. My group B, my group B stands are going to be your travel corridor or what I call your rut stands. And, and, and basically, um, you know, from year to year, my my rut stands and my, my travel corridor stands usually almost are in about the same spot. Um, I don't do a whole lot of adjusting to them. They're in just proven spots that deer like to use. Natural. I'm a, I'm a big natural funnel guy inside corners, bottlenecks, pinch points, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, the elbows and creeks, stuff like that. Stuff that deer are just absolutely going to use every year naturally. And then, like I said, your group A stuff, you know, every year, 
you got different oak trees that are dropping more or less. You've got beans in the field one year, corn is the next, alfalfa the next. So, I mean, those stands, I change and move around a lot depending on what the food is, what the food sources are doing, what the deer are doing. Okay. Um, you know, so that's kind of the two groups that I have from year to year. And obviously, group A, I, I, I'm constantly changing and moving because I'm trying to keep up with mainly early season, late season, what the deer are keying in on feeding. Gotcha. Um, so a, a lot of my, uh, we'll call it science behind where my tree stand sets are going to be is, um, you know, early season, I'm doing a lot of scouting, um, game fields, alfalfa fields, stuff like that, uh, um, late summer, trying to keep tabs on what these bucks, where these bucks are feeding. Uh, I run a lot of cameras. I try to keep tabs on, you know, what food sources are hot. I try to stay ahead of the game. The minute oaks start dropping, I move cameras onto oak trees. The minute apple trees are dropping, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to keep a step ahead of the deer if I can, not a step behind. So, you know, early season, basically a lot of my stands are, are going to be food-related or maybe a transition zone between a bedding area and a feeding area. And I, I don't like to get super aggressive early on. Um, you've got deer that are still kind of on that summer feeding pattern. They haven't really experienced a whole lot of pressure yet. So I try to, to kind of hunt the fringes. I don't, I don't dive in too deep. I think you do more harm than good early on. So a lot of my early season stuff, you know, is going to pretty much rely around uh, food and um, water. Water is a big one too. I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of people overlook how much water a deer really will drink throughout the day and how much water they need especially if it's a really hot, dry summer. So, you know, water's a big one too. But that's kind of, you know, my early my early in the early season strategy is, you know, the keying in on food. And, um, you know, those stands, I like to try to hang early enough where I'm not in there three days before season, but I don't like hanging them um, too early to where your change in August, but the stand was up in, say, July, and now that stand's worthless, and you're going to have to go in and, and, and take it down. So I, I try to wait until they're getting close to stripping velvet, maybe a few weeks before, um, you know, the season starts. And a lot of guys um, will disagree with that, and, you know, they already want stands in place, and yada, 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 and I understand that, but I would rather take my chance on going in one time um, to a spot that I know for sure I've got a high chance of scoring. Make sure it's a wet, rainy day. Spray myself down. Wear my hunting clothes, rubber boots, gloves, the whole nine yards. Play the wind. Go in. Hang a set. Get out of there. Versus hanging one in July, then moving it again in August, and then oh man, now they're on an apple tree over here. I've got to move it again. You know, I just I I don't like having to go into places two and three times. I like to try to go in one time, um, and kind of get it put up and, and, and you know, and, and let it, you know, be there for a few weeks um, at the most without, you know, having to disturb the deer. Okay. Now, I also run, uh, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big lone wolf tree stand guy. Um, I really like their ladders. I, lo uh, I love their sticks, love their lock-ons, love their climbers. I climb a lot. Um, you know, Climbing allows me to change from day to day, depending on wind and what I'm doing, without having to rip a stand down. I can climb up, hunt, climb down, put it on my back, and go home. I want to move 20 yards. The next day, I just find a tree 20 yards over, and you know I, I can be very mobile. 
uh, and, and keep deer from actually kind of patterning me per se. So I do utilize the climber in early season quite a bit too. Um, I would say cover isn't as crucial in early season because you do have a lot of leaves still on trees. Uh, the foliage is pretty thick here. So basically I'm just looking for um, obviously a nice straight tree with a lot with a lot of branches is always good. You know, breaks up your silhouette. It's nice and easy to put a, you know, uh, a lock on and a ladder in. Um, you know, be tree pegs, sticks, whatever you want to use. You know, breaks you up. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of being in that 20 to 30 yard range off of where I think a deer is going to be. I don't like being right over top of them because then you're you're trying to shoot straight down. It's hard to get a double lung or a, a heart and a lung shot straight down. That's uh, mm -hmm. at the, at the, at the you know, I'd rather shoot at 40, 50 yards than shoot at five any day of the week. Um, so I like to be in that 20, 30 yard range. And I like to, you know, as, as, as most of you probably know from just me being on the podcast and seeing it and reading it different places, I'm a, I'm a big wind guy. So I'm constantly playing the wind. So my stands are set up where I want deer to actually um, walk by me or get past me and then i can draw undetected i don't like having deer come right at me to where from 200 yards out the whole way to me they're, they're facing me and looking right at me so I, I try to position myself where my tree is in between me and the deer as they're coming in to me or you know i've got something blocking me whether it's branches or the actual tree itself but i i never position a stand at say one o'clock if the deer are going to come straight in one o'clock i i i'm okay. not a fan of you know you you know that's i'm just not a huge fan of of having my stand face right towards where the deer are coming from i like to face more towards where they're going um i love that quartering away shot broadside's great but i i, I personally love that quartering away shot um you know everything's wide open um, with that shot, it's just, I, I just, you know, I'm a big fan of that shot. So that's kind of the science um, behind how I'm going to hang a set, um, you know, especially like early season. Um, as we get into the rut, now I'm going to start diving into what I call my, you know, my tree stand B category. And that's going to be stands that might, besides me changing straps or cables on, they might be in, a, in, in the same tree for five or six years. You know, I mean, I check them every year and replace parts, but, you know, your funnels, your pinch point, your saddles, spots that bucks are going to use every year and that deer use every year, uh, the downwind side of bedding areas, um, you know, those spots are pretty well proven year after year. I, I don't do a whole lot of, of messing with them. I go in and trim them in the early fall. And I hunt them in the rut, and pretty much that's the only time I'm in there. Um, now those, you know, here are ruts in November. So, you know, at that point, your leaves are pretty much off, your trees are bare. So, so your your cover and blocking out your silhouette is a lot more um, crucial at that time because you don't have all the foliage. So, you know, I, I try to get in trees that have a lot of limbs or that have a lot of, you know, maybe there's trees right directly behind it that have a, that are going to break me up, you know, but I, I really try to get in gnarly, nasty trees 
that are going to break me up because from that point on the rest of the season, you know, you pretty much don't have any cover besides the actual tree itself and, and whatever limbs it has. I mean, most of our trees, you know, they don't hold any leaves really from November on. So naturally you can get picked off easier. Gotcha. You know? But uh, and I'm sure you know from hunting whitetails and whatnot, I mean, it only takes one little move after <laughs> after deer after deer have been hunted for a couple of months or two. It only takes one little tip of movement, especially on a big old doe, and the gig's up. I mean, they're blowing, oh, yeah. they're snorting, they're wheezing, and now oh, the whole woods is on high alert. I mean, so, you know, I really, you know, you, you know how it is. You've hunted enough and killed enough whitetails. You know what that's like. Yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, I mean, I'm I'm really trying to key in on, on more, um, I would say, more gnarly and less user-friendly trees that have more more natural cover to them um, from the rut on, especially same with the late season stuff. You know, late season, you know, we're kind of back in the food sources again. Um, not going to get near as aggressive like I would during the rut and dive into the bedding areas and stuff. I'm, I'm pretty much going to be pretty much strictly food. Um, and, you know, for me, um, it changes on, on every deer. I mean, every buck's different. Every season's different. Every every farm's different year to year, different crops. Um, you know, we have a lot of gas and oil stuff going on. So, I mean, there's woodlots that change shape and structure every year. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a evolving art that you've got to just kind of find, a, find your own science and your own niche for. And like I said, for me, it's just really been... Um, crucial running the cameras and and doing the preseason and and in-season scouting i mean on nights when the wind's wrong and i can't hunt a certain farm um i'll go glass you know i'll get to a spot where the wind's right now I'll, I'll watch fields and i'll see what you know okay there's five does come out here there was three come out here you know I'm, I'm constantly trying to piece together okay where's my next ambush site okay now it's it's this corner over here okay now in that corner Where's a good tree with good cover where the wind predominantly comes out of the east? So where's a good tree that allows me to use an east wind? I mean, you know, you just kind of go down through a little checklist that I have. And, and you know, I've just kind of come up with that over the years, of, you know, what works and what doesn't. And uh, like I said, I mean, a lot of tree stand hunting is just trial and error and finding a system. But once you kind of get a system down, you know, you, you can just kind of roll with it. And... Um, you know, it, it's really worked out good. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, it's kind of an evolving art, I guess, if you'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's definitely an art to to hanging a tree stand in the right location as well as picking a, a, the right tree, you know, one that's big enough around, one that has enough cover, one that's going to allow you to have your tree stand pointed the right direction, um, one that's going to allow you to have your tree stand at the height that you prefer, you know. Um, yeah. What it, I mean, what's, what's kind of your rule of thumb for height as far as tree stands go? Well, I mean, I personally like be in that 20 to 25 you know foot range um i feel like that gets you up high enough to get out of that main line of sight um it's going to help take some of your scent you know over deer that might be downwind that are close um 
quite honest with you, like last year, my buck, and a lot of people don't believe this, but I mean, if you were to ask any of my family members or my good buddies, I killed my biggest buck to date last year, extra 191 inch out of a stand that's not even 10 foot off the ground. It's mm-hmm. probably about, I'm going to say it's probably nine feet at the max. And actually, um, that's the second lunar that's been killed out of that tree um, in the last three years. So, I mean, you know, and it, it's one of those, it, it's a gnarly little pin oak with a bunch of limbs, and you pretty much just melt into it. I mean, you, you really can't be detected or seen because there's just so many limbs. And I've cut holes in, in spots, shooting lanes, and I mean, it just, I had I had extra underneath me feeding for a couple minutes, um, and I'm on pins and needles because of the wind and, and whatnot. But I knew he would not bust me from from actually seeing me. I mean that that tree's just proven. I mean it just uh, you know, so it just goes to show you. I mean you don't have to be in a skyscraper at 70 feet to to get it done. I mean ideally I I, I like that 20, 24, 25 foot range, but I would rather be in the right tree at 10 feet than the wrong tree at 30 feet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, you know, and for me, the right tree is only 9, 10 feet off the ground. But, I mean, it produces year in and year out. I mean, it's it's a proven, you know, it's just a proven spot. It's a proven tree. Um, do I wish it was 10 feet taller? Absolutely. But it isn't, and it works. So, I mean, I just roll with it, you know. Um, I think a lot of guys think you've got to be, 20, 25 foot off the ground, 30 feet, whatever. And I mean, you don't. I mean, there again, you play the wind and you pick the right tree and you do your part right, you'll go undetected. I mean, you know, movement and, and sense of smell is, is what kills you as a tree stand hunter. So, I mean, if you can take those two things and put them in your favor, you'll be fine. You know, there's no mm-hmm. doubt in my mind. I mean, lots of big deer killed out of ground finds on the ground. So 10 foot up is even better. You know, that's 10 feet better than being on the ground. So, I mean, you know, but yeah, ideally though, 20, 25 feet is where I'd, I'd love to be all the time. And that's awesome. And just, and just like for everyone that's listening, um, there, there's another reason why Clint likes to shoot his deer at 30 plus 30 to 50 yards because his tree stands are 20 to 25 feet high um i've heard a lot of people talk that they don't like tree stands anywhere over 15 feet and once again it comes down to preference but a tree stand that's only 15 feet high you can shoot an animal that's a lot closer and still double on the animal um yes so just yeah like that's and and i don't know i i'm kind of i like shooting them out there about 30 yards as well i think that's kind of my kind of the sweet spot (laughs) yep Yep, I agree, hundred percent. I, I, you know, I, I always tell people if you're up twenty, twenty-five feet, and you've got a deer, say at fifteen, twenty yards, I, I aim for the heart, regardless, because if you shoot a little high, you're double lunging him. You shoot a little low, it's a clean miss, and if you shoot dead on, it's a heart shot, and he's dead within fifty, sixty yards. So I mean, you know, it's a, it's a win-win no matter what. Um. That's kind of my rule of thumb for being up high and, and shooting low like that is I'm going to, I'm going to go for a, I'm swinging for the fences and whatever happens, happens. I'm either going to hit a home run 
I'm going to strike out or I'm going to, I'm going to you know, I'm going to double long him and, and get a sing or get a double. And at the end of the day, I'm going to win no matter what, you know, we're not going to wound him. Uh, as long as you stay away from that shoulder, you know, you should be in good shape. So that's kind of my rule of thumb on, on the stuff that's close. Um, I do not shoot straight down. I'm not a straight down fan. I don't care if you're at 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet. I, I'm just, I am not a straight down fan. I've seen too many deer, single lung hit wounds from that that you never find. Um, I just, that's just, that's just not a shot. I would rather shoot steep, quartering away at 40 yards than try to shoot that straight down deal. I mean, there's just so much. There's just so much that can happen. So many things can go wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm just not a fan of that shot. So I, I really don't ever take it. Um, and there's some guys out there that like that shot and they, they're, they're, they've got a good record with doing it. You know, I'm, I'm just not, I've never really been a fan of it. I've killed a few deer doing it. And it's just made me nervous every time. I just, you know, just not a shot I really like to take, but some guys are very comfortable with that. And hey, you know, hats off to you, but I try to avoid, that shot, if at all possible. I got you. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely no point in taking a shot that you're not comfortable taking. That just kind of spells wounded animal and track jobs and, you know, discouragement and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just hard because, you know, you're shooting down through that rib cage. And I mean, depending on how you hit a rib or how you hit, you know, um, how you hit, you know, the actual bottle body cavity straight down like that, you can have a, that arrow ricochet left or right or up and down pretty easily. I mean, it's hard to judge really what's going to happen. I mean, what looks like a great shot really might not be. I mean, I've, I've filmed some buddies shoot that straight down shot, and I mean, it looked like Smoke City, and then you, you start blood trailing them, and you're like, this looks like it's back in the gut. I mean, it looks, you know, and, and what's happened is, is it's hit a, it's hit one of those body cavity or the rib cage bones coming in and it's, and it ricocheted back instead of going straight down, you know, it actually went back in the cavity. And now what was a awesome shot on film actually has turned into a gut. You know, now you're waiting seven, eight hours, hoping this deer lays down and dies. And, you know, you go from super jacked to smoke city shot. to Oh crap. You know, and it's just, but there again, I mean, that's a hard shot to predict what's going to happen. I mean, you know, because, you know, you're, you've got the spine, you've got your bones coming off the spine, you've got your rib, you know, your body cavity, rib cage bones, you've got the top of the shoulder. I mean, you hit any of that stuff, you can't predict at all what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's hard to tell where ribs are to shoot between them straight down, you know, um, broadside, quartering away. As those ribs go down the body, you know, they spread out. So they're they're wider down at the bottom than they are at the top. So you've got more margin for air and you've got more room to get in between those ribs versus straight down. So like I said, I, I'm just not a huge fan of that. But, you know, hey, it works for some guys. So, you know, more, more power to you. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as, like, uh, I know, obviously, when you've hunt hunted a certain spot for a while, you know, trimming shooting lanes and that kind of stuff isn't near as big of a deal. Um, but when you're going into a new area, um, and you go to start trimming shooting lanes, obviously you're not 
trimming everything within 30 yards of the tree so you can shoot a deer from any angle, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So what, right. I mean, are you just looking for really good trails and a few funnels that you kind of trim so you've got an opening to those, or what, what kinds of is your plan there? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of flirt on the line with don't trim too much, but trim enough. I mean, there's nothing worse than having a, a giant come in and right. you can't get him killed because you didn't trim any limbs. I just feel like I. Have but on the flip side, there's also nothing worse than Buck coming in and picking you out day. at a hundred yards no, as well. So I try to about three miles away from where we. I try to trim the least amount possible right there in, in the tree with gotcha. me. Um, I try so, to keep yeah, up, across him and you know, just, to break up me. But as far as lanes and stuff <laughs> yeah, go, so cool. I mean, I definitely so, yeah, try to make we, sure I've got my know, angles covered. I mean, if there's, there and found my um, and I like to hunt a lot of spots where I call it the wagon wheel effect. Um, I try uh, to be the hub of the over. wagon wheel. Um, and at and the hub, you've got all the spokes that come off. And the spokes are going to be the trails. The hub's going to be the tree that I'm in. So I try... Let's say there's um, seven so there's trails that are, that are kind of crisscrossing in, in and around where I'm at. So I, I'm like, going to oh, want you know, a hole to at least um, so one spot on every one of those trails where if a deer does come in and picks one of those paths, I have an option, you know, whether it's seven so, yeah, trails, four trails, whatever. If, if, if I'm at the hub, you know, I want to be able to shoot each one of those spots, which are the trails that pop. And that's kind of my rule of thumb is, got sucked in the quick you know, I swear. don't let a buck <laughs> come so, in there and give you a perfect 25-yard shot but you not have any openings to kill him that. I mean, so, you know, it, and there again, so it's it kind of an art because, like I said, you don't want to trim out. too much wow. in the tree you're in, so, total on but yet you want to have stuff on the ground opened up where you can get shots, but yet you don't want to tip deer off. I mean, you don't want to change their scenery too much. So, I mean, no kidding. I... I don't like to, to get cut, up there, like, and that's probably a down or trim sapling or, or, or cut all, you know, wow. a whole sapling down. That's cool. But I'd rather stories. trim branches. Um, yeah. Stuff yeah. I do it trim. Pretty good hunt. <laughs> you know, I try to get rid of it, throw it in a briar bush, whatever. I mean, I, I try to make it look as natural as possible yeah. to where it doesn't look like some of them was in there messing around. Cool. Yeah. You got to remember. I mean, you're basically walking into a deer's bedroom or his his dinner table. And you're changing stuff. Go, yeah. You know, you're cutting stuff. You're you're, you're making you're making stuff look different. And yeah. think about it: if yeah. someone was to walk into your bedroom cool. and and yeah. move like your bookshelf around, or well, yeah. you know, trade places where your cologne is with your toothbrush or vice versa, you're going to notice. Probably that. the hardest. Well, seventy. They walk in there and, and they totally change wow. everything. I mean, you're going to walk cool. in and be like, whoa, 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 whoa! Someone's in here. I'm getting out of here right now. I mean, you're not even going to think about it. So. Yeah, it's so kind of how I look at it with deers. I mean, you don't want to be in their bedroom life, or in their yeah. at their dinner table, you know, yeah. making a huge motion to where the minute they walk up to feed or the minute they walk out of their bedroom and they start heading towards these fields, they automatically know something's wrong, something's up. All these all right, limbs perfect. are cut. cut scenery looks right different. You, you know, you, you put scent all over the place. And that's why I like to do a lot of my trimming on rainy days where your scent's being washed away going to be in full camo, spray down, gloves, rubber boots. I mean, you know, I'm going to treat it like I'm actually hunting, even though I'm going in to hang a stand or trim lanes. I mean, I, some guys will say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's silly. I mean, you don't need to do all that. But for me, that, that's, it's work. I mean, I'm, 
I'm that's part of my system. You know? um, oh, I You know, like I said, I'm very big on the wind. I'm very big on scent control. And, and uh, I think if you're going to kill a big buck every year or you're going to allow yourself to have a chance to kill a big buck every year with a bow, the finer details and stuff like that, you've got to pay attention to because that's what makes or break a shot at a giant whitetail year in and year out, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, without without a doubt, you know. And like you say, you go in there and you completely bust your butt taking down limbs and whatever. Even if you take down all the right limbs, you know, you're sweating and all that stuff, and you're just scenting up the whole area. So that was an awesome tip to try and do it when it's a little bit rainy and obviously scent up and all that kind of stuff. Um, because any, like you say, anytime. You know, if a skunk came and walked into your bedroom, you would know it. You know, and oh, and, yeah. and that's yeah. that's what that's what you smell like after sweating for three hours cutting down shooting lanes oh, yeah. <laughs> to a deer. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I go as far as I won't go in and do something like that if the wind is blowing towards the bedding or feeding areas depending on what time of day it is, because, you know, I mean, there again, I, I just, I don't want them to even have a clue that I'm in there or been in there. That's how long it takes. You know, the least amount of, of tip-off pressure that you give them, the better. So, I mean, and all that little stuff adds up. I mean, you know, a big buck might allow you to, you know, he might catch a little bit, of, a little scent of you here and there, and, okay. and it not yeah, so whatever, alarming too bad or tip him off. But if he goes in there I guess I and there's limbs cut and there's feet cut down and you've got all this change of scenery and you've got the place stunk up and here's this tree sandy spot because you took the telephone straight there's no cover. I mean, a mature white tail, whether it's a buck or a doe, go look at that and be like, okay. Now, this wasn't here. This shouldn't be here. I can smell it. Something's wrong. I mean, you've pretty well slit your own throat. So, you know, if you're going to take the time to hang these stands and to do all this and try to kill, you know, a mature deer, I mean, you may as well go through the steps and do it the right way and, and give yourself a chance. Because, in my opinion, like I said, if you don't pay attention to the finer details, you're pretty much already at an uphill losing battle, in in my opinion. I mean, you know, some would disagree. Um, maybe they're luckier than me, I don't know. But it just seems like, you know, if I get sloppy at, at stuff like that, when it comes to hanging stands and stuff, it always comes back to bite me. So over the years, I've just learned, you know, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, do it the right way. And more times than not, it'll, it'll pan out and pay off for me at some point throughout the season. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Just like anything else in life, if you do it half-ass, you receive half-ass. Um, yep. So, cool, man. Well, you shared a ton of awesome tips. and I mean, I learned a bunch as well. I just was like, man, well, I don't know why, why didn't I ever think of that, you know? So, so thanks for sharing a bunch of tips and tactics, and I think people are really going to get a lot from this uh, that, that's going to help them, you know, hang a tree stand that's going to allow them to be more successful this coming fall. So, yeah, thanks for taking 30 minutes out of your evening and hopping on the show, Clint. I appreciate it. Hey, anytime, my man, and just one one little last side note. Um, I mean, I know everybody 
sees it on Facebook, sees it on Instagram, and reads about it. But make sure whether you're hanging a stand, you're climbing into a stand, you're getting out of a stand, you're, you're moving a stand, wear your safety harness, be tied off, use a lineman's belt whenever you're hanging stands. That way you got both hands free. And it takes two minutes to put a harness on and hook yourself up. You know, don't be one of these jackasses in plain words that thinks, oh, the stand's never going to break, table's never going to break, never going to fall, this is never going to happen. Because I'm telling you, I've got buddies that's happened to, I've got people that I, I know and, and, and I'm close to that have fallen out of stands, broken legs, broken pelvis bones, broken arms. I mean, they've been very lucky they haven't been seriously, you know, seriously, seriously injured. But we're the daggone harness for 25 bucks at your local sporting goods store. It, you know, everybody needs to go home at night, the wife, kids, family, you know, don't, don't overlook that step. I know it's not talked about enough, but just a little side note, take the dead on harness and make sure you're wearing it because you never know when a squirrel's going to chew through your table or something or choose through your tree stand strap on the backside and you don't see it. The minute you put all your weight on your stand, the platform falls out and now you go 25 foot crashing to the ground. I mean, Stuff like that happens. I mean, it yep. really does. So don't, you know, don't let that be a career-ending or a life-ending deal because you just didn't take two minutes to put a bag on harness on. Yep, I agree completely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Well, awesome, man. That was that was a great closing because that that's for sure. I I would like you shouldn't be ever using a tree stand at all without a harness. So that was a great closing, and. um yeah, it's it's a serious thing. There's a lot of people out there that, that either get hurt or die from not wearing a harness. So just get one and put it on. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, now, you know, like my um, – I've got a hunter safety system, and it's got a lineman belt that, you know, your hand's free. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can be using both hands to hang your stand, take your stand down, whatever you're doing, and – you know, honestly, I mean, it's got pockets you can put stuff in. I mean, your cell phone, um, in case something bad would happen. And, you know, you've got tree pegs or, you know, whatever you might need. It's got pockets you can put stuff in. I mean, you know, it's it just, yeah, it's like I said, for 20, 30, 40 bucks, whatever, depending on what style and what, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you don't have to go out and get the deluxe $180 one, but at, at least buy one and have one on. You know, like I said, it could save your life someday and be the difference between bow hunting tomorrow or never bow hunting again. So yeah, absolutely. And um, if you want to look at tree stands uh, or tree tree stand harnesses, um, I actually did a gear review on a tree spider tree spider tree stand harness. It's on the Archery Maniacs YouTube channel, um, and I actually jumped out of the tree stand with the harness on and showed you how to utilize the foot holster and all that stuff to get back up in your tree stand. So, um, it's kind of a fun, awesome. kind of, kind of a little bit of funny video, me messing around a little bit, but there's a lot of good tips and tactics there as well. So on that awesome. note, I seriously appreciate it, Clint. And if there's anything I can ever do to help you out, you know, just let me know. Um, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Hey, anytime my man, I always look forward to it. Hopefully, uh, next time I'm talking to you, it's the, uh, yelling and screaming because I just shot a giant freaking cinnamon or chocolate in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wonderful, man. Well, good luck on your trip, and you make sure to tell Brian I say hello. <laughs> hey, 
Hey, I will, and uh, yeah, we'll have to make sure if uh, we get one down. I'm sure you'll uh, you'll be one of the first to know, my man. Oh, good. I want to be. <laughs> All right, Clint. Well, you have a good sir. evening. <laughs> hey, you too, Zach. Right. Talk to you soon. Yep, see you, man. Take care. Yep. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.